I scream, police don't move. Come out with your hands up. So he starts coming at me with his shirt off, no shoes on, and his hands up in the air. And two Upper West Siders open the elevator just at that time, and they're in the line of fire. Oh, my and God. And I scream at them, get the fuck back in the elevator. They, they shit their drawers, open, go back in the elevator, take off. I get him, I put him on a wall. As I'm putting him on a wall... Oh, what's up, everybody? Thank you for your wonderful introduction there. Andrew Steiner is our engineer on this uh, beautiful winter afternoon here in Austin, New York. Uh, my name is Mark DeMeo, my partner in law enforcement here. Bill Cannon. And uh, we are in his beautiful palatial estates up here. And what's the area code again? 10562. Oh, the zip code. The zip code. The zip code, yeah. It's, uh, 10562. And that that makes a big difference, I guess, right? Correlates to, to high taxes, but not as high as like Chappaqua or Briarcliff Manor or Pleasantville. And those, those are your neighborhood... Um, those are my neighbors, yeah. So yeah. we're like this, in the slums of uh, Austin. <laughs> yeah. One, one acre zoning slums, yes. <laughs> nah, it's beautiful, man. Built I in pool it. in the yard. You got you a know. beautiful house here, man. Thanks for having me. Hey. Um, I'm happy that we're back and we're, we're, uh, we're going to tackle this podcast situation again. It's a must if you're, in the, if you're in the entertainment business to have your voice out there. And I guess we got to do it. So before we start uh, on our topics... For those of you who don't know us, we are both retired New York City police officers. Um, Bill Cannon was a retired, uh, as far as I know, Manhattan North um, homicide sergeant. That's the way I remember him. That's right. I've been out seven years. Believe that? You, so you retired in uh, 2013? 2011. Oh, a year before That's me. why we're cops and not math majors. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, you, so you got out of before, uh, you, you were actually out a year before me. Yeah, I got out in 2011. You know, listen, I, I did almost 27 years. Yeah, and that's great, man. People always say, you know when it's time. And I knew I had enough. I couldn't, just psychologically, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, I knew too, man. It, it was, was some bullshit, you know? I knew exactly that day. I remember the day they put me, uh, I went from... Um, the academy into a precinct. I was like, yeah, this, it's time. I got to get out of here. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> what? You, you want me to take, stand on this corner you didn't all take, night in the cold? Get the fuck out of here. I used to love guys with hair bags. They'd have like three years on and be like, this job sucks. You'd be like, how many years you get on? Three? You'd be oh, yeah, like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. you better get over that shit. You got 17 more to go. Yeah, that's know? a long time. You don't start counting down until. <laughs> so uh, before you, before I knew you as uh, Bill Cannon, the, used to wear a, a hat. Yeah, you remind me of, um, from French Connection, Popeye Doyle. That's right. I used to have That's a Popeye right, Doyle hat. And whenever you, I worked in the 2-6 squad. And whenever you walked through the door with your two detectives, I knew something happened, man. Well, there was a homicide. A shooting, something like that. Something bad, horrible some happened. shit, yeah. They used to say death has walked through the door, right? Yeah, man. That door, door used to kick open and used to walk <laughs> in wearing that hat. Man, I was scared to death of you. I, was like, I used oh. to love, man, walking under that crime scene tape and not IDing myself. And the rookie cop would say, who are you? And i just look at him and go, homicide. Oh, shit. Yeah, that must just, have been a, the that kid must... would just get a Woody and step yeah, yeah, back, yeah. you know? <laughs> I just got a chubby when you said that. <laughs> or over the radio, North Homicide Sergeant Essentially. You know how many fucking rookie cops are saying, holy shit, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. That's, uh, that must have been a, uh, that's the way I used to like to say detective. I remember when, um, when I got to Warren's, you got to spend 16 months there before you can get your gold shield. So uh, me and my partner, Danny, we were on a team with another guy named Mike. And Mike had come in 
uh, he had gotten promoted to class after us. So there was that six-month gap where whenever we'd go out on hits, uh, I would introduce us to, you know, uh, wherever we were, the place we were visiting, looking for somebody who used to live there. I'd say, hello, uh, my name is Detective Sanchez, because that's my real name, and this is <laughs> Detective so-and-so. Oh, and this is a, a partner, a police officer, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> man, that guy hated it. When there was a for white those six months, man, he hated right, when that. There was a white shield in in the squad for you people that don't understand police work. They would be assigned to the squad. In eighteen months, they got a gold shield as long as they didn't step on their dick. Right? They'd get a gold shield. And this one detective used to call himself investigator because he didn't have a shield. Yeah, he didn't yeah. want to say police officer. Yeah. They'd be like, "What do you investigate my case for? You're a cop." Yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was that. That was always a tough, tough uh, six months. Or, well, I thought it was sixteen months. It's eighteen, oh, 18 months. It's eighteen, 18 months. Yeah. All right, so eighteen months. That was a long eighteen months waiting to get that gold shield because it didn't. Then when you go out to bars and you know you're talking to a girl, whatever, and then she's like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Well, you know, I'm a detective." That's not, <laughs> I see that's your so shield? Cool. I'm a detective. <laughs> yeah, shield? yeah, that's the coolest thing in the world. You say a cop, they're like, "All right." Cop is a good thing to say, too, because the girls really like the uniform. You know, uh, we're always, uh, I was always, I couldn't wait to get out of uniform. I, I wanted to be in plain clothes, then I wanted to be a detective. But the truth of the matter is, the uniform is the magnet. Uh, because it's identifiable. Um, none of that other stuff, the, uh, the, the shirt, the big jersey and the... And the that you wear over your vest. And everybody knows it's, you know, you're in plain clothes anyway. Some people call them undercovers. They're plain clothes. But, you know, that it's interesting to guys, you know, oh, wow, wow, what does that guy do? But to girls, man, the girls want to see the uniform, man. But you know something? I couldn't wait to get out of the uniform. They used to call the uniform the bag, right? Yeah, the bag. No, nah, I mean, bag. most if you have those type of, that, that want to get out of it and not always be uh, attract, you know, because you're like a... You're like a magnet, you know. The uniforms attract uh, what are you, uh, crazy chicks, um, bullets, yeah. bullets, and and then no crazy people, bullets and chicks, chicks, and the chicks will kill you. But you know something? I remember when I was in a two four rip. It was the robbery investigation unit, and strictly West Side suit and tie. I went over to El Barrio, Spanish Harlem. No one wore a suit and tie. They were all dressed down as anti crime, and I was like, this is great, man. Except me, I had to wear a suit. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing too. When you're in the squad, if you work in um, Midtown Manhattan, that's when you got the pinky ring guys. Yeah, they're in the suits. They dress better and they eat better than us. Yeah, of course. They they're they in were the OTA. It's a, it's a ground <laughs> ball to be. Anyway, listen, we're getting way off track yeah, here. You're so right, I wanted to go. Uh, so we get to know a little bit who Bill Cannon was as a, as a cop. Um, what was the first place that you came out of when you graduated from the police academy? What was the first thing? Was that, where'd you N go? NSU 4. NSU 4. So what, what is NSU? It was four precincts, 19, 2024, 23, excuse me, five in Central so, Park. So you're, all the precincts that you're mentioning, those are in Manhattan? Yes. So you went and you belonged basically to four precincts for the next six months. Right. And they just moved you around. Well, that's where you trained. Yeah. You moved around. Yes. Well, it was different when I graduated. When I graduated, you got one precinct. I, I spent, the, obviously, the six months in the academy. Then I went to the 102, where I did my six months of field training. It was called FTU. Right. So yours was NSU. What was that? NSU? Neighborhood Stabilization Unit. Okay. So that's the what they were doing kind of yeah. sort of now anyway. They went back to that. It's funny with the department, how they keep going back to stuff. There was community policing when I first came on. Then it turns out that it was the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> Get rid of it. Um uh, 
uh, there were new police commissioner. We went and started doing other stuff, and now they're doing community policing again. Yeah, just rename shit. It's yeah, the yeah, same. they just move they it just, around. Yeah, Every it depends it. on where you fall politically and what type of policing you want to do. So you did the NSU, and that's what they're doing now. With uh, well, now they might be breaking it up again. But what was the thing that they do now? Oh, impact, impact, which so is you, the worst idea they ever had. You're saying it, but it's the same thing. The worst precincts. Well, that's what you just said. That's what you did. Yeah, isn't it? Well, they weren't the worst, but now they'll take all the rookie cops and put them, like, say, in Brooklyn, the 75, 73, 70. Yeah, know, and they're not really one. connected to the community at all. They just no, put them out there and. Because they want the bosses to have a crime reduction so they can get promoted. Yeah, they put them on, yeah, in the heavy, in the, in, let's say, the crime, more, more crime areas, high crime areas, and then they basically stand around on foot posts, writing summonses and making a lot of arrests. Like and shoplifting arrests and is a big DOAs, one. Watching DOAs, right? Sitting on Watching DOAs. DOAs. Yeah. So you went to, uh, so you were covering those four precincts and then what? Then I went to the, uh, I was hooked up at the time. So I went to the 2-0, which I, you know, if I could do my police career over again, I, I would rather go to. What do you mean hooked up? I, I mean, a, I know what you mean. I had a hook it, to go to the 2-0. It was a hook house. Okay. You know, I know what you mean. Yeah. So I went there. But for the people yeah, that might hook, be listening that aren't. you knew somebody. They okay. made a phone call to the Department of Personnel. So what you're trying to say is there's nepotism on the job? Yeah, oh, shit. Are you kidding me? Wherever there's a politician, there's a cop. All right. So you you uh, you knew somebody, right? And they they pulled you out of that NSU, and you went to work in the two o two o, which and was the relatively is, quiet. Where's the two o located? Upper West Side, Fifty uh, Ninth Street to Eighty Sixth Street from the river to uh, Central Park West. That's a that's a very very popular place yeah. to live right now. Mega bucks, mega bucks. So. That was that. That must have been nice for you. It was nice, but I think if I could do it over, I would rather go to a real rock and ghetto precinct. You know. Okay, so no, you no, wanted no, you no, want, no, there no. wasn't much action over there. Not in the two not, but and I got into anti crime really early. I had a year and a half on, and I made an off duty bank robbery arrest. With a, wow! How, a, tell a us about of, that. Tell me about that. I, I was it. walking around in plain clothes one July. I was out sick. I just came back. So you're surgery. on duty, but you're not well, in I uniform. Was off, I was off duty. Oh, you were off duty. Yeah. Okay. And I was walking around the precinct because I was just coming back that day from um, having surgery. Oh, I had you know recovered from it. And I see people running out of what was then the bank on 79th and Amsterdam. It was a manufacturer's Hanover, which doesn't even exist anymore. So I ran up to this woman. I said, what happened? She goes, this guy just stuck up the bank. I go, which way did he go? She goes, he went that way. So I run uh, east on 79th Street. What kind of surgery did you have anyway? Um, I, I thought I had testicular cancer, and it wasn't. All right, so now you're you're running in full pursuit, and your ball bag is yeah, hurting. Yeah, my you. balls are hurting a little bit. Yeah, because I thought if it's your legs, but it's even worse than your legs. <laughs> you went my, to, I just had meniscus surgery. No, so, it's, my balls were sewn back up, so that I had wow, fully intact. You deserve to get a promotion after that. <laughs> so you just had ball surgery, right. and you're chasing a Chase bank robber bank robbing, through yeah. Harlem. No, it no, it's not Harlem. Upper it's West Upper West Side. Side. Yeah, it's a nice so neighborhood. So I run up the street, and this lady goes, "He ran into this building, right?" Uh-huh. So I go into the building. I got my little five-shot chief, you know. So I that five-shot chief is is a is a gun. Yeah. And chief is that was the the brand the maker. Revolver, yeah, thirty-eight caliber Smith and Wesson. Yeah, chief. we didn't get the chiefs when I graduated. You had the choice between a Ruger and a Smith and Wesson, but you guys could have the chief. Yes, because you you came on earlier than me, and the chief was a reliable gun. Oh yeah, absolutely, great gun. But against an M1, it wouldn't have been too good, you know? No, but back then, yeah. you know, what, 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 what year were we talking about right now? It was 1987. Wow, yeah. 80, yeah, 87, 87. Yeah, I was two years out of high school. So 
You're chasing up the you chase into this building. Your your bulls are probably killing you at this point. <laughs> and who who is this guy that you're chasing after? Do you see him? Is yet? The, no. So I, this lady goes, he's in this building. Everyone's very willing to let cops risk their lives. They don't give a shit. You know what I mean? That guy with the gun, he's in there. Go well, get him. I mean, him. that's your job. Go so. get him off. So I go in there, right? Uh-huh. And he's changing his clothes by this freight elevator. So maybe he had a job interview next. Yeah, maybe. I think so. He needed the money to buy a suit, you know. So anyway, I I scream, "Police, don't move! Come out with your hands up!" So he starts coming at me with his shirt off, no shoes on, and his hands up in the air. And two Upper West Siders open the elevator just at that time, and they're in the line of fire. Oh my and god! And I scream at them, "Get the fuck back in the elevator!" They they shit their drawers, open, go back in the elevator, take off. I get him. I put him on a wall. As I'm putting him on a wall. A uniformed cop screams at me, drop the gun, drop the gun. And I'm like, I'm a cop. I'm on the job. And he goes, drop it. I go, dude, I'm not dropping it, man. I go, my shield's in my left rear pocket. I'll throw it to you. I go, he goes, don't turn around. I go, I won't. So I tossed him my shield. And then two cops from the 2-0 came there. They go, that's Cannon. He's a cop. And, they, and then we grabbed the guy. Well, he in had, hindsight, if you had to do it tactically over again, would you have dropped the gun? No. Because I was afraid that the bad guy would dro- would grab my gun if I dropped it. You know what I mean? I mean, you could have tossed it behind you. Yeah, I didn't trust that. I wasn't dropping it, man. No, no way. I took my chances. I was a white guy it's wearing balls, white, yeah, white, white pants and a, like a pirate shirt. Yeah, yeah. You know? that, well, that, that's what came to my mind because yeah. I'm thinking to myself, it's a ballsy move. Uh, same situation. The young black African American cop. I'm throwing that freaking. <laughs> I think I'm throwing that gun yeah. way behind me. I'm probably like, should have. <laughs> but okay, it was, it name, was. You know what the guy's name was? The bank robber Taft Washington Jr. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he had one of those prison tattoos with an S. You know when they burn it, it's like it's above his skin, like for Superman. Oh, he got a what's that? He got a branded. It branded. Yeah. Yeah, branded. Yeah, they yeah. do that in high. Was it a high? Sometimes they do that in college. Yeah, I don't college know why sports. He did it, get, man, um, but. Uh, Anyway, that was my first, that got me into anti-crime. It's an amazing arrest, bro. Yeah. That is, there's just people that are walking down the street sometimes, cops off duty, and they just run into shit constantly, man. Thank God that never happened to me. <laughs> no, because, you know, like, you go to see these bodegas, and they, they have every sign that they give them from beer and cigarettes, and the whole window, the glass is covered up. You can't see inside what's going on there. And you go in there, and then you walk in right in a robbery. Yeah, that's scary. You know, that kind of stuff happens when you got that luck. So so you called this guy, and I'm sure that you became a superstar in the precinct at this point. Well, that was my fifth armed robbery arrest in the last six months. So In that command? In that command. Oh, oh, because when you started the story, I thought this was like your first arrest. No, it wasn't my first. It was my fifth one. So that was your fifth one, and that's why you were able to jump so quickly. You know who my CO was? Who? Louis Anamone. Oh, really? Who became the chief of department years later. Yeah, yeah, he was good. I think he's... No, I saw Esposito recently. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, I remember he was the guy who designed the whole task force thing. Yeah, he was an ass kicker, Anamone. You know, aggressive. Okay, aggressive so cop. he was your CEO. I'm sure. Like now, he's looking at you. Like I got, we got a shining star right he here. He brought me in, and he said, "Look, he goes, uh, I've never done this before." He goes, "I know you're still on probation." He goes, "Going to put you into anti crime because wow. the sergeant was like a real." Yeah, big, real experience. He did 11 years in street crime. So he can make, he make could sure. train me and make sure I didn't get in any trouble, yeah. Wow, that's an amazing... I was so confident back then, and I don't know why, man. I didn't have the... I well, was because, only... listen, you knew what you wanted to do. 
Uh. You got what you wanted to do, and now you had the chance to do it. So, of course, it's like if you've been mentally preparing for this thing, you know, if, if, why not yeah, just go know, after it? Police work, if you're too cocky, you can get hurt, man. You really can. You think you're a little bit like you think you're Superman or something, you know? Well, I, I, you know, the cockiness without, uh, see, it was one thing to be cocky, but the other thing is to be confident. If right. you know you can handle yourself, um, which you obviously had that confidence, you weren't afraid to chase after that. A cocky guy it doesn't it doesn't have the confidence. He's not going to chase after that. He'll walk around saying how he called it over the radio. Right. right. Confident guy, good guy, good cop. A new, you know, you know, you're young, you're strong, you can handle yourself, you're smart. And you chased after that guy without, you know, you might have been scared, but you didn't act that way. You're always well, that's if, a you're great, not, if you're not scared, you're crazy, right? That's a great, great collar, though. I mean, especially young. So now you're anti-crime. And uh, what, what's next? What happened? I did that for like... Um, Two years, two and a half years, and then I went to citywide anti-crime, Randall's Island street crime. Oh wow, that's a big deal. That, was, that was the really those exciting. were the ones who uh, killed uh, Amadou Diallo, right. right? That's right. In the hallway, street crime was probably the most exciting job you could have in the police department, and I was only there a year because I got promoted to sergeant. But they went to the worst places in the city, and they basically got to play. It was a special play. breed of cop. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that. You know, uh, eventually, stop, question, and frisk was taken away from the police department. But it was a result of years and years and years of that aggressive, what you just talked about, that citywide street crime. The way they used to do car stops back then was pull this guy over, pull the car over, take everybody out of the car. Everybody's up against the uh, on the hood of the car. While three cops are uh, ravaging through the car, patting the other four cops are, are, are patting these guys down. They come up with nothing. All right, get the fuck out of here. Right. Exactly. And then that was it. Get back exactly. in your car and go look for somebody else. You know, there's a way to still do that, but you have to know the law. <laughs> no, but I mean, you have to <laughs> yeah, know the law. You can break and you the law. To, you have to know the parameters of what no, you're I doing. No, yeah, listen. That, but you know what I'm talking yes, about. Exactly that. that was a result, and there's a way to do it. And were there uh, street crime guys that were going out there were not doing that? They were actually coming up with probable cause. Oh, look at this guy, the way he's driving or running a plate. That plate doesn't come back to that car. Let's pull him over. That's the way to do it. You know something, just let me interrupt you for one second. In 19, I think it was 87, 88, around there, they were looking for this car that was sticking up bodegas. It was a white car. And they were sticking up bodegas all over the city, and they'd shot a couple of people. Every white car that night all over the city was being pulled over. They were pulling guns out of these cars left and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not getting the right car. One car, they pulled four guns out of it. This isn't the car. So you could imagine what was out there then. Listen. At the end of the day, a lot of lives were saved. Um, Absolutely. But at the same time, like, for example, when Amadou Diallo was killed, that was a situation that I felt that what happened was that neighborhood was flooded for so many months in a row that the guns were off the street at this point. And rather than move them somewhere else, um, he just kept going to the well one more time until, you know, who's out? Why would you be out at 2 o'clock in the morning? Okay, right. stop. Where, where is this guy going? Where is two o'clock? Where are you going? So when you get that, when you fall into that trap, you know, uh, just stopping everybody. Oh, I, I thought I saw uh, something bulgy in the, in his waistband or in his backpack. You're gonna eventually at some time it's it's gonna blow up, and that's what happened. But 
I'm sure you guys were doing a, a hell of a job. You took a lot of guns off the street. And then how did you go from being in a citywide street crime to becoming a detective? Well, what happened was I made sergeant really young. Oh, I actually right. had four years and 10 months on the job. And I, where I, I went to the 2-6 for six months. Four years and 10 months. Yeah. And I wow. went to the 2-6 for, for six months. And then I went to the 2-4 and started all over, back in uniform, on the desk, the whole thing. And I worked my way back into anti-crime. I had the anti -crime, as a sergeant. Yeah, as a sergeant. I had the anti-crime for three and a half years in the 2-4. And then they asked me if I wanted to go upstairs to the squad. To be now, the 2-4, we got to make sure that we always... For those people who uh, aren't familiar with New York City that are listening... Um, the two four is on the west side of Manhattan. I was, it's the beginning of Harlem. Right. What is it? Started, um, so it's at 86th street. It goes, it goes to, to 110, 110. And yeah. then the two six precinct goes from 110 to almost like 144. And that covers from, what is that? St. Well, Nicholas Avenue spots, to the water. It, it doesn't go to 144 and the whole well, by city college. Yes. But up Broadway, it ends at one. Was it end at one two five? At its peak, though, I'm talking about. No, it doesn't end at one two five. Oh no, no, one two five, one thirty something. Because yeah. the three O starts then, right? Yeah, yeah. But you also have that building in there that uh, thirty three thirty. Well, thirty two thirty three could be in the. I think that's in the three O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, so we're talking about the West Side of Manhattan from St. Nicholas Avenue to the water. That's what you're covering. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And you were doing anti crime now as a boss in the two four for three and a half years. Right. Correct. You're a sergeant now, and then uh, how do you get to the detective squad? Well, they asked me to come up to the RIP unit, which was stood for Robbery Investigation Program back in the day, and it was a sergeant and 12 detectives. And at first... That's a big unit. Yeah, I didn't want it. For the 2-4? Yeah. Just the 2-4? Well, every RIP unit had a sergeant and 12 detectives back then. In the 2-4? Yeah. 12 detectives doing robberies yep. in the 2-4? And, yeah, and another 20 in the squad. Wow. That's, that's big numbers yeah, right there. Yeah, I mean, there. when... You know, the criteria for a robber unit back then was to each precinct to get a rip unit, you had to have 100 robberies. So the 2-4 was obviously qualifying for that. But the 2-4, even though it's actually lower in the streets from, from um, what was it, 86th Street to 110, that's, you know, that's closer to, it's lower in Manhattan. You would imagine that the crime would spike as you continue to go higher, but once you from 110 to, like you said, we're talking about the 26 now, 130s up to 144 where uh, City College was, that area was actually not as busy as the area that well, came before. That, that's the what they used four. to call the 26, the hole in the donut. The hole in the donut. Right? Everything happened around. For some the reason, that area. And maybe it's because Columbia's always been there and they've always, uh, you know, it's, it's a neighborhood that now you can't walk down the street without being recorded up there. Everywhere that you go, you're being recorded up they there. They have the most sophisticated surveillance equipment anywhere in the city, Columbia University. Yeah, I know. I, I, that's where I worked as a detective. So I just want to finish up on your career path one more time. You went to, uh, now you're the boss in the RIP. Right. And you had to have over 100 robberies a year. For the precinct? No, a month, per month. Oh, really? Per oh, month, my yeah. God. Yeah. A yeah. hundred. That's a lot yeah. of robberies. And back then, uh, people were reporting robberies. A lot of them arm robberies? A lot, a lot of the robberies back then, too. Yeah. Or just strong arm? And mostly strong arm, especially on the Upper West Side. Someone could show you a pencil and they'd give you their family. Strong you know? arm meaning nobody pointed a knife right. or a gun at you. A muscle, you know, punch you or hit you or knock you down or threaten you. Hand right. in pocket. 
No so guns. from there, no. after being uh, three and a half years in the rip as, as a boss, what happens next? Then I went to Spanish Harlem, the, the 2-3 rip. And, you know, like I talk about different levels of talent. The 2-4 rip I thought was good. When I went to the 2-3, they were absolute superstars. It was probably the best rip unit in the city. So Guys, you're talking about the detectives and the how— The detectives were outstanding. And why? What was the difference? They how just, come? They were hunters. They were—I mean, some of these guys were making two, 10, 12 arrests a month, mm-hmm. you know? And I, they were just—every minute they were out there searching for somebody. And I was just like, wow. I always knew the 2-4 were not go-getters. But when I went to the 2-3 and saw these guys, I was like, this is a rip unit, you know? Do you think that is— um what, what what do you think? What do you think? Do you think there's one guy or a couple of guys that pretty much drive the engine in these places where you get detectives that work a little bit harder, put a little bit more effort into it? The veteran guys, and you see how they work, and you want to keep up and be as good as them, or do you, th- you just think it's luck of the draw? No, I think what sets the tone is a guys that are hungry for overtime. Okay, because that's their reward. So they're working all the time because they want to make their 40, 50, 60 hours a month overtime. So they're, they're hunting the minute they get into work. They're going mm-hmm. on the hunt. And they work really, really hard. And the RIP units were all young guys. They mm-hmm. were all young, hungry, former anti-crime guys that were looking you know, to make money. You yeah, know? you see a pattern here. Okay, so you get the guy that is uh, chasing after bank robbers. He falls in line and eventually works his way up to joining a whole bunch of other cops that work or pretty much as hungry as he is. And that just continues up the ladder. You just continue on that path, working with people that are also very, very aggressive and um, are making a lot, a lot of arrests. Not just aggressive, but, but smart. Yeah, I'm not you talking know, about... Uh, street smart and police smart. Yeah, when smart, I mean aggressive, yeah. I'm not saying like... Um, I'm not, not cowboys. Uh, yeah. yeah, not cowboys. I'm just saying they're, at, they're always yeah. out there looking. Yeah. And they were, they were really, really good. Well, There's a reason why I bring this up, and you'll see in a second. Okay. So you, um, you, now how do you get to Manhattan? So then I just go to uh, 97, I went to the 2-3 rip. I had the 2-3 rip for like two or three years, and then I got tired of going to Comstat all the time. Comstat so I, Which is, is where you got to present it's a meeting statistics to the bosses a, of the police department. It's a meeting that's held. Yeah. All the, the big shots, the big white shirts, the chiefs, um, inspectors, they come to this meeting. It was what was it Thursdays every Thursday? Yeah, one, at all Friday at one police plaza. Was yeah. it once a month or once a week? It was once a month. Okay, so it's a once once a month meeting, and it's it's a drag to go there because if you get called to the carpet, and by the carpet means your your number your precinct is going to be, they're going to ask you questions about how you're handling uh, crime in your precinct, and now you have to step up in a podium in front of all your peers. And you have to explain to them how come you have a spike in crime in your precinct. And uh, you better have some good answers. You better have a plan on how you're going to fix it. And, uh, you know, listen, you could be the top dog in your command. But now amongst your peers, if you're not that articulate, if you're not that informed, you might be embarrassed. And the people that are asking you the questions already have the answers. So it's almost like you're up against a detective who's interrogating you in a way. But you shouldn't be because you're... You should be the expert. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this Comstat thing comes up once a month, and uh, you got sick and tired of going there. Yeah. I mean, I was good at it at presenting, but you had to actually do like almost like study for an exam to know all your stuff because they'd ask you very intricate questions 
about the investigation. Because they were trying to stump you. Right, they were trying exactly. to trying to make you look stupid. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. The reason why crime is up in your area, wherever you work, is because of your fault, obviously. And they would call up the precinct, the squad, to get information to use against you, right? Well, you had to submit your cases. Yeah, and the one time, this is actually funny. The two, three precinct, we were up for comps that that month we had three murders and five shootings. And they called us to the carpet. And Norris, who was the chief of crime control strategies, the commissioner, his guy called us during the day and he said, oh, could you guys spend some time with me? And Caniglia, who was the lieutenant, says, no, I don't have time. I come in at a four to one, I blew him off too. So Norris was so pissed off, he told our chief, he said, those guys are dead. He goes, they blew off my little bucket, you know, and I'm pissed. So when they, our boss told him, he said, look, you can beat these guys up. He goes, but do you want to beat up two guys that, that their squad solved three murders and five shootings? Do you really want to beat them up? So he changed his mind. He didn't beat us up. He well, you had a, yeah, there was a lot of different dynamics. Like where, first of all, um, one police plaza is the, they're the ones holding the comstat, and the chiefs are going to call um, to the carpet. You're going to have to present. And if you're the commander of a precinct, you're going to have to explain why your, your precinct's up in, in crime. So you're going to have to go to the detectives. They're going to pull the detective cases, and um, they're going to look through a fine tooth and comb. You give, them, uh, you give up your cases a, a week before, so they right. have a chance to look at it. And while they're looking at it on one end, you're trying to fix it up on the other because you know you're going to get a call to the carpet uh, now because they pull your cases. Your boss is trying to get up to date. His boss is trying to get up to date. Everybody's on you. Why, why, why don't you do this and make sure you do that? So now you're here. You're at Comstat, um, and you're standing there in front of a podium, and you got all these guys. It's almost like uh, Congress when, you, when you're sitting there and, and all this, uh, the senators are asking you questions. Why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? It's exactly like that situation. Um, so now you got sick and tired of going to that meeting. And uh, how do you get to... I just, I just went to the regular squad. Okay. And I, I was there for like two years and an opening came up. I, I remember I had 17 years on the police department. And an opening came up in Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And I remember I called their sergeants and they, they basically blew me off because they didn't want me. They wanted someone else. So I called the inspector whose decision it was. And I said, uh -huh. listen, I'm interested in going to the homicide squad. He goes, you are? He goes, you're my number one choice. Oh, and I wow. said, oh, excellent. Next thing I knew, I was in the homicide squad. That was the and the other thing. guy they wanted was just a cool guy that oh, they wanted to the, hang out with? It was a guy that those two liked. They, yeah, they wanted really, to hang out with him. They didn't really yeah. like me. I had the reputation of being a little too aggressive, mm -hmm. maybe a little too abrasive to these two. And, well, uh, I mean, from somebody who knew you uh, just from the outside, not like we know each other now, it was an intimidating force, you know, to, to watch you come through the door. You knew your stuff. And if the other two guys uh, are a little bit more laid back, yeah, you might show them up. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and then if you're the you same know. rank, you don't want somebody telling you what to do or, or making you look stupid at meetings. Right. Well, you know something? There's, there's but, treachery among the ranks, too. People, yeah, uh, just like high, in detectives. It's detectives. a hierarchy. Yeah. It's, it's, detectives aren't, you know, little, it's fuzzy a, to everyone, right? It's a little government inside the government. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, so now all of a sudden you're, you're in Manhattan North Homicide. And, uh, you're, you know, that's, that's it, 
Like it's what TV shows are made of. Oh yeah, I mean, you we know what I'm saying? Like we really work the biggest cases. The cases I, I even think now they were on the front page of the news. They were on the front, the six o'clock news. They were the lead story. I mean, it was amazing. The cases. All right, we let, run me through like whatever comes off the top of your head. Give me some cases that were. Felix Brinkman, 90-year-old uh, Holocaust survivor, murder, murdered by a prostitute and her boyfriend. Front page of and the 6 o'clock news. Was he a John or did he... Uh... He, was, he was actually having sex with this prostitute. So, yeah, okay. So he brought her boyfriend because she said he's got a lot of money in the apartment. So he's 90 years old. He's a Holocaust survivor, but he still gets it up, man. He still... Yeah, he's still banging a prostitute. He used to own the club, the Adam's Apple. That guy should have been able to Famous go on forever, disco. man. Yeah. He was Bo Deedles, one of Bo Deedles' best friends. You know, Bo Deedle, the... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they yeah. murdered him, huh? Yeah, and so w- w- when we were done with that, we made, I think, five arrests. We arrested, a, uh, I remember the guy's name, Ajula Cuts was his name that killed the old man. Hasib was his brother. He was Why, the driver. What, what was it, just a robbery? It was a robbery that went bad, and he strangled the old man and hit him with like a, a statue. So he's 90 years old. He's a, he's a survivor of World War II. Prison Auschwitz. Camps of Auschwitz. Auschwitz. Wow, Auschwitz. Okay. Yeah. And then he's still having sex with prostitutes and still has the strength to probably fight back. Yeah, I'm sure he did fight. The guy was an old feisty old bastard, man. Yeah, you know? man. What a way to hear you survive Auschwitz and you get killed. How did these guys the not know side? him from the neighborhood? Or maybe they did know him from the neighborhood and targeted him. Well, the idiot, the idiot prostitute didn't understand cell phone technology. She called up to his room before she went in there. So all we had to do was track the call going in, and we had her. And then we the rest of the case unfolded after that. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's yeah. an interesting case. What else? Uh, a 13-year-old girl who was strangled by these guys who she met on a phone party line. Uh, I remember the party Taisha line. McCoy, Taisha McCoy. 13 years old. And these guys strangled her. That was like a, a huge, huge media case. But again, solved. Joe the Lip. Joe the Lip got the confession. One of my best detectives. You know, I used to say Joe the Lip on a meter of annoyance. On a one to ten, he's a fourteen. He's one of the most <laughs> annoying humans. But when no shit, when you need someone to do the work, the guy was the best. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Listen, they, people who are great at stuff usually have a idiosyncrasy or two. Some fatal flaws. Yeah, he had some. So here you are, uh, a retired homicide sergeant with a, with a stellar career, and uh, while you were Still uh, on the police force, you were also teaching in in college, right? Yeah, I taught uh, part-time at a college, and uh, I also taught at the criminal investigation course at the police academy, you know. I taught uh, identification procedure. But I learned a lot from the identi- On a DOA? No, identification lineup show-ups. Oh, okay. And, you okay. Know, how to get a perp ID. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty important uh, yeah, step very important, along the way. You know? So um, you're doing all this. You're, you're teaching as well now. And now it comes to your 27th year, and you realized it's time, man. I'm done. I don't want to do it no more. Yeah, you, I mean, it's funny. It's like at the end of like that, a sports career, you know. Yeah, you don't you come want to, to that realization, and you, it's you're not, done getting banged up. You don't want to feel it no you more. You just you don't you know this. There's, there's an expression that I love. You love the police department, but the police department doesn't love you back. I love uh, that one. You know, it's a great expression, and it's, when you don't feel the love anymore, that's time to go. Anything. Not just the police department, any job. Any you grow job. out of stuff. Yeah. You grow out of stuff. Your way of doing policing, it was probably a good time that you left because it might have been changing. 
Big it's time. almost like every single movie that you've ever seen where you got the old school cop and he comes in there, he grabs the guy around around the throat, he's smacking him around and all the young cops are looking at, hey, what are you doing? We're not allowed to shut the fuck up. This is police work, you know, and at some point you realize, hey, it's my time to go, man. So you, um, you retire from the police department and you go into teaching full time and you also start getting involved with acting and doing stand-up comedy. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it's actually my five-year anniversary doing comedy this month. I, and it wasn't the first thing I chose. First, I was going to try to write. You know, I thought, because I have all these great stories. Mm-hmm. Let me take a writing course. And then when I realized how, how difficult writing was, I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm not starting at starting this right now. So I, I tried that for a little bit. And then I took the, the comedy course. Writing is difficult um if you don't know the story, if you have the story and you've told the story a hundred times, all you got to do is put it on paper now. Well, the mechanics, though, of actually writing. You I know, know but, I but you're, think thinking about mecha- you're thinking about writing. mechanics, about writing a story that you think uh, or reads like a story that you've read. You're not thinking about just writing the story exactly right, the way exactly. I say. Yeah. I realized that when I started writing my one-man show, um, that... Just tell the story the way you would. I mean, I tell the story like a story, but on paper, if you look at it, it's still the story. It might not be the most legible story. Right, it doesn't but read like the best way for you to do it is to just tell your story. That's what and I did. Then write it from there. Rather I, than I did. Well, I did. I, I wrote it a draft, and then I changed it after after I realized the way I've been saying it, and then I, I fixed it up more and more and more until it was exactly like the way I say it. So when you look at it. You might not be able to, you'd have to know all the inflections in my dialect and all that, but that's my story. That's the way I write now. That's what I learned. That's probably the best way, but because... Because you I, could always go back to telling the stories, uh, but uh, to writing them. You right, just had to tell them more. If you write, if you write a novel, I mean, you have to really be a damn good writer, which I don't Or a really, really good storyteller. Yeah. Trust me when I tell you, if you trust the story, you've been saying it enough, it'll come... Look, even some cops have uh, Michael O'Keefe that wrote uh, Smash to Pieces or mm-hmm. whatever... He has some great stories, and I, I enjoyed his book, but there was some things were missing, and I can't say exactly what, but just maybe the way the story was told or certain personality things or writing, like a personality condition, the way someone is, or like if someone, this happened to them in their life, could they conceivably be doing this? You know what I'm saying? Certain psychological conditions, like if, if someone was abused as a child, really badly abused, is that same person going to become a cop? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that could happen, you know. Well, uh, yeah, you look, I, got, I got kind of sort of lost on that because I was thinking about the writing aspect still. But trust me, if, if you find the, uh, a way to tell your stories, each one individually, they become stories. Then you put all those stories together, now you got a book. But anyway, besides that, the reason why I was asking you to take into detail about your career is because it's fascinating. You did a lot of interesting stuff. You were part of a lot of uh, cases. And you were, uh, in my opinion, a great, great investigator, a great sergeant. And, well, thank um, you. Appreciate that. And then there's me. 
I was a cop for 20 you, years. But you were motivated by something else. Uh, whatever. I still did. I still took the money. <laughs> I was there for 20 years. I, uh, I went to the police academy. And I remember being in the police academy and having a grand old time. And everybody couldn't wait to hit the streets. And all I kept thinking about was, why? <laughs> this is great. in this life. <laughs> it's never cold in here. It's never hot. <laughs> we're, not, we're not standing on the corner doing midnights. I'll stay in another six months. I don't give a shit. So um, they forced me out. Then I went to work in the 102 precinct. And when I was in the- What one neighborhood of Queens is that? The 102 precinct covers Richmond Hill. Uh, Pretty mellow area, right? Nah. Hey, well, the Richmond Hill is, uh, is on Jamaica Avenue and Hillside. Same as the 103, which gets a little bit busier. Uh, eventually becomes- uh, the 113 is up there too, and that gets even a little. The 103 bit... used to rock back. Yeah, in the yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the 102 was they, they had a, they had the quite a bit of crime there too, but it wasn't like the 103. So it was it was actually a great place to work, and I remember one time when I was a rookie, I was driving around with this veteran cop, and at some point it's, there was some pretty girl walking down the street, and she came over to the car. And we were bullshitting with her for a minute or two. And right about when I'm ready to hit her up for a number, um, this call comes out over the radio that was in our sector. And the guy says, kid, we got to go. And I was like, really? Fuck. So I was like, hey, it was really nice to meet you. You know, it wasn't like the, the, we hadn't been breaking the ice enough for me to like be bold enough to ask her for a number. So I was just like, yeah, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to you again another day. Talk to you. And then as we were leaving, taking off, I was like so pissed, right? And then I said to the guy, man, this job would be great if we didn't have to answer these stupid radio calls. And then he goes to me, you should work, <laughs> you should work in the task force. <laughs> so uh, the task force, the task force was uh, every borough had a task force. It was just cops on reserve. And we were basically, uh, you didn't answer the radio, the 911 calls. Your job was primarily to, uh, you filled in where um, if they had some type of civil unrest, a protest, um, Maybe they were having a street fair or something like that, and they didn't want to take their uh, the cars, the sector cars off the radio, pull those guys to go babysit. We used to go babysit, and that was our job, just cops on reserve. And we had to write summonses, and we had a, a, a DWI. Uh, back then it was DWI. It was a driving while intoxicated unit. And um, my uncle worked there. So my all of a sudden this light bulb went off in my head. Wait a minute. I can go here and work and not answer these radio calls? <laughs> so I called up my uncle and I was like, hey, man, I'm getting out of this uh, FTU thing here, this field training unit, you know, and I was wondering if they were looking for anybody in the, in the task force. I, I hear that you guys don't have to answer the radio. You guys don't do shit. <laughs> so he's like, uh, yeah, let me see. And it just so happens that I'm six foot four, you know, I'm like a bodybuilder at that, you know, at that time. And uh, they specialize in big cops, like, you know, because we had to do a lot of uh, moving people around. Now I get off this corner and, you know, there was a lot of that stuff because we were civil unrest. So I went there. I went there to, uh, to work in the task force. And then um, an hour. So I went there to work in the task force, and that turned out to be great. Um, I did that. I was there for seven years, and um, I had a blast, man. It was, it, was, it was perfect. But at the same time, I knew uh, I was standing in roll call one day. It was right after roll call. I think I might have still been brand new. And I heard all these cops talking about what they do off duty. 
You know, one guy was an exterminator. The other guy was a plumber. One guy was a roofer. The other guy's a landscaper. I was like, I don't want to do that. Why would you need another job? I thought this was it. You know? And... Um, what is this guy a fireman? Yeah, yeah, they were all they were all volunteer firemen, by the way, because that's how you get out of your house. No, but firemen—they call that job the best part-time job on earth. Yeah, well, yeah. they were, but I mean, this is you know precinct guys, you know, yeah. that worked a steady tour, they were steady hours, so they can have this other source of income. And I, I said, I don't want to do any of that. So um, I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to have to do something, uh, find a way to make money besides being a cop, I want to do something I want to do. And then all of a sudden, I thought about, what do you want to do? What did you always want to do? Now you have the chance. And I said, I always wanted to be an actor. So I went and I, um, I went to the, somehow I found out about Backstage Newspaper. I looked into that. I found out about HB Studios. I started taking acting classes. So for, since the very, very beginning of when I, was, I got on the job, I was involved in acting. And then a few years after that, I, I was in a theater company, and then it was time to audition. So then I needed to, instead of work six at night to two in the morning, I needed to work during the day so I could be part of this theater company. And I found a way to do it, and that was by um, doing warrants on a precinct level. I was in a task force. They were opening up this, uh, this, uh, this unit for warrants, and nobody that I worked with understood what it meant. They thought, oh, we're going to have to go to the traffic court, and if somebody pops a warrant, we're going to have to pull them from there and then bring them over here. And nobody wanted any part of it at all. But I wanted those hours. So I put in for it. Not, no, I didn't give a shit what I had to do. I just wanted those hours. I needed them for my theater company. And then it turned out it was the best thing in the world. We did like a, I think we started at five o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon. I'd go home and take a nap. I could be part of this theater company. I could go on auditions. It was, it's just perfect for me. And that I rocked that out. I rolled that till the wheels fell, fell off. How long did you do that? I did that until they picked me up to work in warrants. Uh, it was probably like two, two and a half years that I did that on a precinct level. And then all of a sudden, warrants was looking to build up, uh, Detective Bureau, Bureau warrants, and they picked us up. I went there right away, and then I was rocking down in uh, Detective Bureau warrants. That was even more fun. Um, <laughs> Is that where you invented the ghetto knock? That's where I invented the ghetto <laughs> knock. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, and uh, not hey, for you nothing. You explain to people what that is. Well... <laughs> You were, you see, you were a great cop. You were a hustler. See, I had every, like, I was like that athlete that had every tool, you know, but just didn't really like playing football. You know what I'm saying? He played good on some, but he, he didn't want to practice, you know, but I had the skills, man. I grew up in the city. I was very, very street smart. I managed to, to stay alive, you know, living in the city and not, not get uh, a buck 50, you know, which is a scar across your face, a stab, a shot. Um, I just had a, an intuition knowing when to get out of a situation. Just luck. Pull luck out would a dodge, man, yes. before the Cowboys get there. So we used to go on these hits, and, you know, they used to knock on the door, the other detectives, like, you know, banging on the door like crazy. And I was like, you know what, let me just try this. Because I used to do this thing in lunch. I, was, uh, I used to play basketball in high school, and uh, I was a center. And uh, I wasn't very good at that either, but I was tall. So I was the third string center. And while everybody, all the other kids used to rap during lunch, I used to do the beats. I, had a t I learned how to do it with my hands, and I could do a nice beat. So I used to do this thing, and I used to be able to get into apartments. I also used to know, um, I just used to know where people would go. I, okay, he's not home right now. I used to do this thing. I, I, <laughs> I used to look out the window and 
And the, my partner be like, what are you doing? I used to sit in the guy's bed. My partner's like, what the fuck are you doing? He says, I want to see how he sees the world. <laughs> and then I used to go out and find him. What are you, Kreskin? <laughs> so I was really good at warrants. You're not going to give us an example of that knock? Uh, there's no place to do it right now. And we're going to have to move the mic. Uh, uh, we'll do it at a future time. Uh, but I, I was good at warrants because I had the street smarts. And then I took that into... Um, eventually, we all got... And if you didn't have the hook, like we talked about earlier. Remember we talked about the hook? The hook, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have the hook. I got lucky enough to get into warrants. And now they're looking to build up the squads again, which is detective squads, which is not fun at all. It's just tons and but tons once, of work. Once you got into warrants... From the detective bureau, you're going to make detective in 18 months, right? Yeah, so, but you could stay in warrants. I'm going to be a detective in 18 months. I did it. I did the whole thing. I became detective. I'm really, really having a great time. Now, the difference between a detective in the warrant squad and a detective in um, a detective squad is, when you were in a detective squad, you were attached to one precinct. Um, Any times there's a crime committed and there's a perpetrator at large, uh, if it's a felony, the case is going to get kicked up to the detective squad. And now you got to do an investigation just like you see on TV. If you work in the warrant squad, um, if somebody fails to go back to court, I get a piece of paper to tell me this guy has a warrant. I go to their house or wherever they work or wherever I think I can find them. I pick them up, I grab them, I bring them back to court. My day is done. That whole thing could take literally an hour or two. Instead, now, I'm stuck with this case. If I'm a detective squad, I'm saddled with this case for uh, months. If it's not panning out, I don't make an arrest. We're talking about months, six, eight months. I'm stuck with this case. People ask me. It was just a nightmare. But people don't understand when you say stuck with that case. Every time you do something on the case, you got you to write a report. You got to write a report. Yeah. You got to update it. Right. Until you make the arrest, the case is pretty much yours. It's unsolved. You're responsible for it. It's just a lot more pressure. Uh, it's a lot more work. Whereas when I was in the warrant squad, like I said, you know, you pick up these people on the warrants. Um, if it's a dead end, you close the case out real fast. If it's, if you got the body, you just drop it off a court and the rest of the day is yours. It was, it was a great, great place to work. And then when I went to the squad, um, that was a five years of misery, man. Every day driving <laughs> into work, I wanted to drive my car right into the this bridge. This was when button. you were in the two six. Yeah. I hated it. Really? Well, because you had... I didn't want to work that hard. No, but I, I didn't mean, listen. You I, had stuff to do after work. I had something else I wanted to do where my passion lied. I was willing to commit a certain amount of, uh, you know, just work like, but you can't do that with police work. No. It's not the type of work where well, today I'm going to bang out a couple of reports and that's going to be my day because the phone rings and now all of a sudden unexpected. you're not banging out any reports. You're uh, over here in a shooting. Yeah, unexpected shit happens. It, just, and that dinner, it was five years about it. of not enjoying going to work. And it was a long time, but at the same time, I'm still doing, I'm still doing comedy. I picked up comedy probably three years after acting and, uh, now I'm pretty good at comedy and I'm getting a lot of comedy work or a decent amount of comedy work. And, um, one, well, I took this homicide course to get out of, uh, to get out of doing detective work for, um, for two weeks, you can take these courses and you can learn. I, uh, I didn't give a shit. <laughs> I just didn't want to catch cases for two weeks. So I'm going there and I'm, I befriend, um, you know, the whole thing is boring me inside anyway. So now I go talk to the detectives Blasting. that are running the course. I get to go, know them well. And I'm like, hey, what, do you, what tours you? Because everywhere you go, if you're not happy, you're asking the other detective what they do, what are their hours. So I'm, I'm quizzing. He's like, what do you guys do? What's your hours? 
Oh, we work steady days, weekends off. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You work steady days, weekends off, and you never have to go go to a detail, a parade, you nothing. They're like stuck yeah. at work ever. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, and you guys get overtime? I was like, how do I get there? So I started bugging them about getting an application. And I put in an application. I didn't hear nothing for a year, man. And uh, my application was in a pile at the bottom of some pile. And I was starting to lose hope. And then all of a sudden, I'm doing a show at uh, with the Comedy Village. It was on Bleecker, the old Boston Comedy Club. And after the show's over, some little guy comes up to me. It turns out it was my uh, Mike. A detective. And he goes, hey, you remember me? And I didn't at the time, but he goes, weren't you in the homicide course uh, a couple months ago? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was. He goes, I thought, yeah, that was great, man. You're really, really funny, man. Well, how come you didn't, uh, how come you don't come to work in training? I thought you wanted to come. I do want to come, man. I put in my application. Really? All right. You know what? Uh, leave it up to me. <laughs> it turns out we got a new inspector there in the, in the interim. And... He needed, he wanted to pick some guys up. Within two weeks, I got picked up. I got pulled out of the squad when nobody was getting pulled out of it. It's still low man. Amazing. It just goes to show you, if you got a hook, this, this inspector spoke up for me, told the chief, I want this guy. Next thing you know, I'm in the training unit for the last five years. And um, it was just... A, That's what you retired? I still on? have the phone call. Yeah, I still have the phone call from uh john garvey who told me that i got hey mayo uh i was in i was in uh pennsylvania the park over there hershey park with my kids he's like hey mayo man i didn't know if you uh you wanted this but uh i think you just got transferred and then when i heard that phone message i was jumping up and down in hershey park like i was i just was going on next on a ride Although my kids I are didn't like want this <laughs> <laughs> i was so so happy i was giddy i was like the best it was one of the best days in my life that i was getting out of the squad and then i went to um the training unit and uh, I coasted there for the next five years, man. It was beautiful. I loved. I, I didn't mind let working in the you, training. Let me ask you all. something, though. When you went to get your numbers, a cop gets his numbers. They tell you this is what you're going to get every month in your pension. You were happy with that? It or wasn't did? what you got. Obviously, way way less. It's probably a little bit more than half of what you get, but. You got to understand, it's not like I was looking to leave the police department so I could sit home and pull my dick. I, right. I wanted to go comedy full-time and acting full-time, right. which is what I did. Um, and in the f now it's six years that I'm retired. If you took all the stuff, the, I, I, the, the one-man show that I wrote, that I performed in the Fringe Festival, if you took that, the TV appearances that I made doing stand-up, the TV appearances that I made a part of a panel on Comedy Central acting if you took all those things and you put them together uh they amount to almost nothing really but <laughs> my point is <laughs> i had a chance to do them all together you they know, all amount to absolutely nothing but you can't put in the whole scope you can't of put a price on that shit right no you could i could tell you exactly how much money i lost <laughs> by leaving early i could i could actually that's you're 100 percent wrong about that i could tell you that i lost i lost out I mean, look, at least a thousand dollars a month which comes out to twelve thousand dollars a year but times you still, six you still have to work 64, a job, right you got to work a job well that was because that's because i got divorced oh okay um, if if I could have just stuck with the comedy and 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 behave myself and been a better husband, I wouldn't have to. Get, I wouldn't have had to get a job too. Also, if I wasn't a responsible dad, I mean, I could have. I could have shit canned the whole thing. You know, <laughs> tell you get half of this and that's it. But that's not the way I am. I wanted to make sure. So I'm 
you know, I have the other job right now so I can, uh, I can pay for my kids while they're going through college uh, and not be saddled with that. Now, once they go to grad school, whatever they got to do, then hey, we may me, have to take grad, a student grad loan. school is on them. I paid for them. Oh, well, yeah, man. we agree on that. We both grad did that. So, listen, ass. we're great dads. We could both agree on that. Yeah. And one thing that we could agree My on, My wife too, sometimes tries to shed a few tears about grad school, and I ain't fucking having that shit. Uh, at the end of the you day, know? listen, <laughs> they, they, they should get a little taste of, you know. Dad, can I use your car? Well, I have a second car, you yeah. know, and my son just takes it like it's his when he comes uh-huh. home, you know. So buy him one. What does he got to take? I did already. He gets 27 years old now. 26. Those days are over. Buy shit. Yeah, buy him a car. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Drinks the, my wine. As I, we I wrap drink up, good wine, man. As we wrap up our first episode here, um, I think we covered a lot of ground. We Holy really shit. got a chance to figure out um, who Bill Cannon was as a police officer and how great he was at, uh, and how enthusiastic and and. The result of that was it's, it's a storybook career. Some stuff that movies are made out of. A Manhattan North homicide sergeant. It sounds so great on on paper. It's beautiful. And then you got me. Shit comedy though. <laughs> then you got me, who uh, skated through twenty years of a uh, of a police uh, career. <laughs> Never had one civilian complaint. <laughs> was never involved in a shootout or a stabbing. <laughs> I never even got. I never even got punched or punched anybody. <laughs> and, you're going to get into it in a comedy club someday. And look at us. We're both sitting here, and uh, we're fun. both alive and doing well. And uh, we found each other. <laughs> Uh, through the job, and uh, we're we're developing a great friendship through this entertainment business, and this is a I think this is the a pretty good pr- uh, first episode. Yeah, not bad, man. I want to thank you, Andrew Steiner, man. For, Andrew, uh, thank you for sitting in on it. Thank you for helping us set all this up. And um, in the future, what our show is going to be is going to be uh, it's called Off the Cuff, and we're going to bring in uh, we're going to have guests here. We're going to have a segment called War Stories, in which uh, our guest is going to be a retired member of the service and uh, or they could very be on the other side of the law. <laughs> and uh, we're going to hear about their war stories, how they got involved with the police and what, what was the outcome of that. And uh, we're going to have different segments where um, a good cop, bad cop. That's another segment we're going to add where we're going <laughs> to interrogate our, our guests and get them to tell us the truth. We're going to cover current events. Um, so this is our first episode. This is the first part of our first episode. For me and, uh, and Bill Cannon, uh, over and out. Off Night. the cuff. Bring it. Thank <laughs> you.